This is episode 160 of the Inner Fight Podcast with Ian Adamson, CEO of Healthy Running. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Marcus Smith, founder of InnerFight.com. In this episode, we speak to Ian from Healthy Running about his take on running, but also his up-and-coming seminar in Dubai, Feb 20th and 21st. And where you are in the world, thanks for tuning in. Let's jump right in. Hey folks, back again. Here is another very special podcast and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined all the way from another guest from the United States of America. We're often blessed with people taking their time out of their schedule on a funny time zone. We're 12 hours difference today. I have with me Ian Adamson on the line from California, the CEO of Healthy Running. Ian, thanks a lot for taking time out of your schedule to chat to us. How's everything going over there? Uh, well, San Luis is a really, uh, it's a beautiful place. Um, it's about 20 degrees every day. Wow. Whether it's the middle, middle of winter or the uh, middle of summer. Wow. Uh, we're tempered by the ocean, so we, we're blessed with weather that um, you can ride, run, surf. I was surfing this morning. Wow. Um, any day of the year. Of course, North America is a little chilly at times, and yeah. especially in January. Um, my wife, who is uh, in New York at the moment, she she's in TV. She was uh, she's up in very very cold numbers up there in the, yeah. in the negatives. Well, we've we've been quite lucky here in Dubai. We've had we've had a little bit of a little bit of a cold snap. We've seen a little bit of rain, so we are also very very happy with the weather. Let's get off that and let's get on to you, Ian. Give us a little bit of background on what you do, what you're up to, and why why we should be listening to what's coming up next, which I'll talk about in a second. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> uh, I'll start. How about I start with what I do currently? Yeah. Um, so. Healthy Running is a company that provides uh, continuing education for medical professionals, primarily in the United States. We have a, uh, it's called Continuing Medical, Ed- medical Education Hours, which are um, accredited by the American Medical Association for licensing hours required by physicians here. Right. And it, it carries over to most other countries. So in the UK, um, Dubai, Australia, South Africa, uh, name a country and they'll have an equivalency. So we're, we're able to go to many different countries and provide accredited hours um, once the okay has been given by the, the national body. Um, that's only part of it. That's primarily what we do. Right. But we, uh, it started actually with runners. Um, my history goes back through uh, to being a professional athlete for many years. And at that time, I was sponsored firstly by Salomon um, yeah. and then by Nike, that was over a period of about 15 years. And then I worked at a company called Newton Running Company, uh, another manufacturer. So that was a span of almost 20 years wow. when I was uh, competing but also working within the industry. And it became quite apparent um, some time ago. In fact, many people have known this always that uh, shoes kind of, kind of, excuse my language, but they kind of screw us up. And it's a lot to do with movement, movement, pan- movement pattern, motor function actually, but movement patterns. So most runners would think of it as, uh, running technique or yeah. um, how, how you run. And the reality is that anything that masks our ability to feel and react to the surface so that we're running on, not necessarily good. Yeah. And that's what we tend to do. What? So 
Let, let's before we jump into that and the technical side, which I'm super super keen to to to, to hear your opinion on. And I know the seminar that's coming up is a lot about that, mate. You've not really. You are a Guinness World Record holder for for for. You have two Guinness World Records, don't you? I I have had some some success uh, with long. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Come on, you you you, can, you don't have to keep it quiet. Tell us all about it, mate. Come on, well, here, this is your chance. Reality. <laughs> Being of convict origins, coming from Australia originally, right. um, don't trust anyone who puts their uh, puts their records with a beer company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Having said that, uh, yeah, I can kind of go long. So. Uh, many years ago, well, actually when I was a kid, I used to pour through the Guinness Book of World Records and I wanted to figure out, I was fascinated by people swallowing goldfish and odd stuff and <laughs> figured that at some point um, I wanted to get some sort of record and I had no idea what it was. I thought it would be sailing actually right. years ago. Uh, but as things, as one thing led to another, I was not a very gifted athlete. I could compete at a pretty good level, like uh, state or even national level in a few sports, but I was always the second string, never could win anything. I might get to an international race if I was lucky. Um, And what I did was I just kept piling on distance and added sports, a bit like being um, having attention deficit disorder in sport. Uh, So accumulated a lot of sports at quite a high level. Um, And ultimately that led to multi-sport, which I got progressively better on, provided it was really long. So anything long became um, my my trademark, and what I, I I was able to suffer better than everyone else, I guess. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, that led to things like uh, adventure racing, which is extremely long, um, yeah. up to two weeks. And uh, at that kind of level, um, I was really fortunate to have some extraordinary athletes around me, and we uh, we dominated the sport for about twenty years, which was quite lucky. Wow. Um, but the the kayaking part was was what I really like to do. I love going out in the ocean. I love paddling on rivers, and I like really I like to sit down. I guess I'm kind of lazy. I just like to sit down, <laughs> and I can do it for 24 hours. How about that? <laughs> well, well to, to to sit in a kayak for 24 hours is one thing. To 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 take it 262 miles, I think, is probably something quite different. I mean, how 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 did that go? Oh, good. It was a it was a process. So I started thinking about it in the eighties. I was on the Australian canoe team, and a couple of guys were attempting the record, and they they actually broke it, but they didn't get it recognised. And I thought, oh, that's that's unfortunate. But I also figured that it was not a hard. Well, it's always a hard record. It was for me. It was it was achievable. And there was a record that had stood for a really long time. It was a guy in Poland who paddled down the Vistula River, and he paddled uh, one hundred and eighty six miles. Right. And that record was around for, I'm thinking, about 20 years. And finally, I went to the Colorado River and, and did 203 miles. That was my first record. Right. Um, and having done that, it was a, a foolish, it was a fool's errand in some respects because the uh, I, I thought I'd go on a really fast river, but it was right. also really dangerous. <laughs> so you can imagine class five rapids, unstable boat at night, not good, not a good, yeah. uh, not yeah. good scenario. And right then I knew that you could go further. So I went, uh, then I went up to the Yukon figuring, oh, I'll go for some time where I can get 24 hours of daylight. So went up to the Yukon, uh, in Canada and jumped on the river there, scootled down in 218 miles. Um, that one uh, was a record, but I didn't submit it because I figured it wasn't good enough. 
and, and followed that up again with 200 and, uh, I think I went 216, uh, 262 after that. But it was over, this was over about 10 years. It wasn't, yeah. um, it's not something that just pops up overnight. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I'm sure all, all things like that do take a lot of time and, and practice. And one thing you actually said there, which I want to jump into straight away, ability to do something like this, to do something for 24 hours, to do something for a prolonged period of time, for some people an hour of running or two hours of running, is often our ability to, you called it, it's, it's, it's our ability to buffer pain and our ability to suffer a little bit, right? But when we, to, when we talk a lot about running these days, we're also talking about how to make the run more comfortable, and, and, and how to reduce that, that pain level. And I guess there's two types of different pain here that there's, I mean, what I generally refer to as good pain and bad pain. Good pain is, 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 is going to subside pretty much as soon as you finish doing what you're doing. And the bad pain is going to make you walk like you need a Zimmer frame for the next two weeks afterwards. Um, you know, but what, what are you seeing in, in, in running now with regards to that? I guess that pleasure pain ratio and equation and how people are dealing with it. <laughs> That's an interesting question. First of all, uh, one comment about pain is I think there's really three categories of pain. Right. Um, I would add a third one, which is it's not damaging, so it's not bad, but it's not good because it's painful. Right. Um, but really painful, as in debilitatingly painful. Yeah. So this is this is the ultra distance kind of pain that ultra ultra athletes know quite well. Yeah. And uh, if you if you're clever with how you you work, um, your ability to. Uh, feel and address pain, it can become a benefit. And it seems really odd, yeah. but there was a time um, about 10 years into my professional racing career when we had discussed endlessly the idea of pain, which doesn't really exist. And here's why. Um, you, can't, you can't see it, smell it, touch it, hear it, taste it. Uh, you, there's no way to measure it. Yeah. So really, it's, it's in our mind, which is true. Yeah. So this re- this very obvious thing to us um, personally, if you think about jabbing yourself with a needle, you feel it, but there is no way to measure that. You can measure the result. You can measure the nerve impulses, but what you can't do is measure, measure the pain itself, yeah. which really means that it's not real. And I've used this. My wife actually came up with this one. She said, oh, you don't need anesthesia when you're having your teeth worked on. Right. Now, for those of us who have gone to the dentist, the whole the idea of having a teeth a tooth drilled out is the whole idea is painful. Just yeah, thinking about it, yeah. which is actually the point. She said, "No, no, seriously, go in next time you go in. Don't get um, don't get the anesthesia. Just have you know just get your filling done or whatever, and see what it feels like." And I thought, well, I'll just use my tricks from adventure racing and long distance stuff and pretend it doesn't exist. And you know what? It actually doesn't exist. Wow. It's true. Wow. You should try it. All of you out there, I encourage you to try this. It's much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes people are happy to pay for the comforts though, mate, right? <laughs> yeah. So this, this is not, this is a kind of a long way around about talking about running. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, the, the pain that people experience when running is completely unnecessary. Uh, running when done with uh, efficient movement patterns where you're self-regulating well with the surface you're running on, uh, does not involve pain. It's actually quite a pleasurable experience. Yeah. You'd expect this, really, because humans are a very well adapted, evolved design. Whatever you like to say, however you like to think about it, to running. Yeah. And running is um, it's innate to to being human. We're extraordinary runners. 
we, in fact, we're the best runners out there. There is no animal can outrun a human given enough time. Not one. Right. Yeah, not one. Just just over the shorter distances. Over the short, we we're horrible over short. Yeah, distances. we're terrible. But we can't go forever. Can a rabbit can outrun us. We are really <laughs> slow runners. We can just keep it up for a really long time. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it, it is an incredible way, way to think about it. Like you say, out of all the animal kingdom, we're one of the strongest out there. But we're also, we're also the people that sit around the most and, and talk about this, this issue with pain uh, uh, s- surrounding it. So let, let, let's jump into that and let's hear a little bit about how you see, you, you mentioned earlier, it, 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 it's really rooted in, in, in the footwear. It's rooted in what's happening with our foot and the connection that we're, we're having with the floor. What, what's that all about? Uh, this is called afferent feedback or afferent feedback. And you can appreciate if you, um, if you pick up an object. So let's, let's imagine you're going to learn how to juggle. Right. And you decide, okay, I'm going to juggle and I'm going to use oranges. So you pick up the oranges and you start to throw them up in the air and uh, you have an experience with it. So this is what's happening. When you pick that orange up, you feel there's a, there's a nerve impulse. So one goes from your brain, kind of goes through your amygdala, goes down into your spinal column and out along your arm, mm-hmm. and it says pick up the orange. So you pick it up, but then you get immediate feedback, which is the weight, the texture, the shape, the surface. Is it slippery? Is it heavy? Is it light? Mm-hmm. So it's different to picking up a shot put, for instance, a completely different experience, but you need that, and this is the afferent feedback. So it gives you feedback, which goes back to your brain, right. and your brain then weighs up all this input, and it says, "Okay, now I need to use this much effort and this much speed to get the orange to the height I want it to get it to to juggle." And so you have this two-way communication between you and the object, and this works whether you're juggling an orange, um, throwing a javelin, or running on the ground, because they're all your your you're feeling and reacting to whatever it is that you're touching. Right. The problem comes in if you you can. There's lots of ways to really mess this up. Mm-hmm. In the juggling example, let's say you're juggling eggs, which is quite easy to do if you you know if you're a good juggler, you can juggle eggs, yeah. uh, raw eggs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try juggling. Try juggling raw eggs with a ski glove on, and see what happens. Right. When you and you know that, what you've done? You've that touch messed up that effort and feedback. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And you probably break the eggs because you crush them. And you probably drop the eggs because you can't feel them. Yeah. So all of a sudden, your ability to work with what you're, you're throwing up in the air doesn't work anymore. This is exactly what happens with footwear. You cannot self-regulate with the surface appropriately. You can, you can learn how to do it without feeling the surface because yeah. when you run on a shoe, you don't feel the surface. Don't. It's kind of the point of the shoe yeah. is to... Yeah create this cushion between you and the ground. Unfortunately, it works against you um, and all humans. Put it this way. Here's another way to look at it. If you kick your shoes off yeah. in the heat of summer in Dubai and the ground is 45 degrees yeah. and you're going to go from your car to the water to the beach, yeah. you can do it, but you know, in even if you didn't know it was really hot, which you do, yeah. as soon as you feel that surface, how do you think you're going to run across that surface? You'd be quick for a start. <laughs> But you'd also you'd, you'd touch it as little as possible. So what you'd end up doing is you would you would uh, basically push your foot down really hard and fast and lift it up really hard and fast. So you touch the ground for a very short period of time. And actually what people tend to do is they'll touch it for, for less than 100 milliseconds. Right. And they can run across the sand doing this. And everyone does it. I mean, it's just it's – it's totally 
innate. It's normal to a human to do this if they have good afferent feedback. So when you, you're doing it, you're, you're just touching, you're kind of touching lightly, right? Like you just yeah. quickly and lightly touching the ground and running across as quickly as possible. When you put a shoe on, guess how long you t- how long engaging the ground for? Oh, we, we, hang around, we hang around all day, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's 300% as long as you need to. Wow. Most people are engaged with the ground with their big, fat, normal shoes for like 300 milliseconds. Right. This is not good. This is not good at all. Um, and what's happening is your, your, your foot is trying to find the surface, but it can't really. Yeah. And by the time you get there, it's too late. And so you haven't, you haven't cushioned your impact. If you're running with bare feet on a hard surface, everyone cushions their impact. Right. They might take one or two steps where they like, straighten their leg like they're running with shoes on. Yeah. But it doesn't take long because you've got choices. You can break your legs or you can like, flex your joints a little bit as you would normally as a, a normal runner would, a healthy runner would, yeah. and, uh, and then save yourself. But we, unfortunately, we don't do this because of our shoes. So what, what, what we're saying here is that this, the layer that we're creating with running shoes and some of them, I mean, simple way we, we actually describe them between, between our coaches here. Someone comes in with these big shoes on is why they're wearing pillows on their feet. Um, but that's, that, that's probably a good joke for another time is, is that w- we need this down to, you, you want it down to an absolute minimum really so that we reduce that, that space between our foot and the ground. Well, Yes, uh, there's a caveat to this whole thing. Right. Once you've learned a move, once you've learned a skill, so you, you've established a movement pattern. Yeah, uh, it's it's a habit, so it's quite hard to to change the habit. Now, what happens is once you learn to run in that big normal shoe, yeah, you've established the movement pattern that's quite difficult to change. So, if you this is what happened to Vibram, by the way. I'm not sure where the state of Vibram is in um, is in Europe and, and North Africa. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's but they, they were very popular in the United States from about 2010 to 2012. They sold 70 million pairs of, of uh, Vibrams for running. Right. And people thought, oh, I'll put this little thin um, piece of footwear on and it'll magically change my running form. Well, it doesn't. No. Um, you still got the habit. So what happened is 70 million people went out there. They just ran as normal. Some people got injured. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't change their moving patterns and they had no cushioning all of a sudden. Uh, and that's kind of what you would expect. Um, it's different from running barefoot, though, because barefoot you do feel a surface. Right. But with Vibram, there's enough under your foot that you don't. Actually, it's, it's been demonstrated with socks, too. If you put someone in socks on a, in a gate lab, they don't really change their moving patterns very much, even though there's, there's virtually no cushioning in a sock, but there's enough cushioning that you don't feel a surface. So how does one move, if, if we understand that there's a, there's a need to reduce that, that layer between the foot and, and the floor when we're running, how does one develop that movement pattern and, and how long should someone look to take to, to do that, to avoid those injuries? Because I, I hear the story about, about Vibram and lots of people started wearing them. They were coming in and they say, these things are amazing. I feel really good. It's the, it's cured all my problems. And then the other, 90% of the population come in and say, ah, my shins are killing. My Achilles has never been so as bad as this. You know, so how, where, where is that transition and, and how do people establish that movement pattern? It's, uh, it's like any other skill. If you, uh, let's say you always slice in golf. Yeah. You have to make a, a fine adjustment to your swing. Um, or if you, if you, let's say you're, uh, you always shoot 
um, in a penalty shootout in soccer and you in football, and you want to, you always seem to cook the ball for some reason. You know, got to make a small adjustment, so you spend an endless time practicing, and you need to reestablish the appropriate movement patterns. And there's all sorts of ways to do this. Right. This is really what we're going to be doing um, next month in yeah. the running. So showing people the the suite of tools that they can use to adjust their movement patterns. The thing with this, um, any any change in a, a habit is this is an embedded um, motor function. So the it, there's several layers of, of ability and skill. Um, the first layer is unconscious incompetence. For you can call it all whatever you want, but I call it unconscious incompetence. Right. Which is you don't know what you're doing and you're not very good at it. So you kind of unconsciously <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> you suck. And this really describe um, most runners who've never really thought about running. They put on a big shoe because that's what they're supposed to do. They go to the shoe yeah. stop. And uh, they give me a big pair of shoes, and then they just start running, and this is kind of what they have. They have this unconscious incompetence. Yeah. Um, eventually, though, uh, through kind of trial and error, um, they will develop a, a conscious incompetence. Let's say this runner now realizes that they're always getting knee problems and hip problems and ankle and whatever, yeah. and they decide, well, I've got to change it. So they read a book, and the book says, okay, you need to do this. So they think to themselves, I know how to do that. And maybe it's uh, bringing your foot closer to your body. So the, the runner thinks, okay, I've got to get my foot un- underneath me if I can. And they do all sorts of things to try this. But at this point, they're consciously incompetent, meaning they know what to do. They just can't do it yet. Yeah. Eventually, you become consciously competent. So you know what to do. You think about it, and you can get yourself to do it. Now, you might not be able to do it all the time, but you can get to do it um, enough so that you're gradually increasing your ability Eventually, uh, and there's some uh, neurophysiology involved with this, once you have done sufficient number of repetitions, you start to bypass some of the uh, um, the motor function that's built into your body. So you actually start to develop automatic movements. Right. Uh, you do this driving a car or uh, walking when you don't you see a dog coming at you or you see something on the on the footpath that you want to avoid, you don't think, okay, I've got to lift my leg up and move it to the left and yeah. do this kind of side shuffle. You don't do that. Um, you just do it because it's automatic. And this is conscious. Um, this is unconscious competence. So this is the final level. It's unconscious competence. And you can see in a kid when they're like a two-year-old learning to walk, mm-hmm. they're, they're consciously somewhat incompetent. And they kind of know what they want to do. They're trying to copy mommy and dad, yeah. mom and dad. They don't quite get there. You know, and over some period of time, eventually they can run and walk. Here's the interesting thing. Have a think about how long you think it takes a human to become completely unconsciously competent at running. Unconsciously competent. A damn long time. Yeah, it is a, it is a damn long time. Have a guess. Just throw something out there. What do you think? Years. Uh, yeah, 10 years maybe. All right, let's think about it like this. When does a runner peak for whatever distance they're running? What? When do they really peak? We, At what age? We, if, if, I, I guess if you take someone like Haile Gabriel-Selassie, marathon runner, he's 30, mid-30s and, and setting world records or early to mid-30s and setting world records. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what you find is that humans with a lot of training from a really young age, peak. 
somewhere probably in their 30s. 30 years. So we'll take my 10 and multiply it by years. three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so think about it. Now, here's the other way to look at it. Now, you're going to try and re, you're going to retrain yourself to run in a, a completely different novel way. Yeah. <laughs> Is it going to take 30 years? Probably not, but it's going to take a real long time. It's not yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. It's yeah. not even next month, and it's probably not next year. Yeah. It's going to take a really long time, and it's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's one of the biggest things in, in, in humans that we see these days is that we're, we're, we're creatures for immediate satisfaction. And generally, if we can't get it, especially a lot over here, if, if, if we can't get that satisfaction immediately, we pay double. And we're willing to pay double. So we'll, we'll buy the most expensive pair of shoes to fix my running style tomorrow. And then obviously it still doesn't work. And, and, and we're caught in that whole cycle that you're absolutely right. It, it, Gabriel Selassie's 30, 30 something smashing world records. And, uh, and we, we, we want to get, we want to get better overnight, which is just human nature at its best, really, isn't it? Yeah, it, totally, it absolutely is. If we could buy a running pill yeah. and just have one every morning, I think people would be really happy. <laughs> right, that might that might be a side business. Let's let's talk a little bit in more detail about the seminar. You mentioned it. You've spoken a lot about it, and and folks, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. You can get involved. Ian's ability to talk about running, as you've seen so far in this podcast, is absolutely brilliant. So this is going to be a seminar worth getting to. The dates are the twenty and 21st of Feb. It's a two-day seminar, Ian. Tell us a little bit of a brief about it. Who's it for? What do people get out of it? What should people expect from it? I think that's one of the biggest things as well. So this uh, this seminar is, we call it um, healthy running. Yep. And the reason is we want people to be able to run uh, healthily, not be injured. Uh, we cover a lot of territory, but the main outcome for most people is pretty much what we've just talked about, which is how to modify the movement patterns to be super efficient. Right. So if you're a runner and you would like to get a little more efficient, so maybe, you're, uh, maybe you've never run, this yeah. is actually a great place to start because if you've never run, it's much easier. Right. Um, or you're trying to get faster because you like to race and you like to, to set PRs or you want to beat the guy next to you yeah. or top your age group or whatever your goal is. Uh, it's always better to be efficient. As, as we know, efficiency uh, equals speed as well. So what you'll what you'll get is um, a lot of knowledge and tools and practice. It's very hands on or yeah. feet on the ground. Um, how to put this stuff into practice and all the tools to do it. So you will come out of the seminar understanding a little bit more about the science. Right. So we delve we delve very briefly into uh, the evolutionary uh, perspective of running, kind of looking at the fossil record and a few other things, and then we go into the science. Then we get into some of the things that uh, trip most people up. Um, we talk b- briefly about footwear and your choices. The right. reality is you can run in anything you want. Right. You could run in ski boots if you want. Right. Um, <laughs> and people do. Um, you could be a big shoe, small shoe, whatever it is, uh, or no shoes if that's your choice. And then uh, what that will mean to you as a runner. So right. once you have information, then you have a choice about – what you choose to run in, if anything, um, and the surface that you may want to run on uh, or not, and uh, then how to deal with it. So at least you have the information. Then you, then after the two days, you will come out and you will have the knowledge to be able to do uh, hopefully quite a bit better. And that that applies to no matter if you're like you said it it, it can the, this thing can be really good for people haven't run much because they haven't learned any bad habits but it's it, it's equally beneficial for for 
the, the weekend warrior, someone that just goes out and runs 10 to 15K on the weekend or less, and also also the advanced runner as well, those that are, 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 are competing, be it in marathons, 10K races, or even triathlons, that kind of stuff, they, somewhat, they're going to benefit from it on all levels, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, um, in the United States, the way we run the bigger courses, sometimes we have three- and four-day courses, is we, uh, we tailor them to the audience. This one's going to be primarily runners. Uh, if anyone uh, in this audience in Dubai wants to continue on and do their running coach certification, that's also possible. Take some study, of course, and some yeah. exams uh, and a, a video evaluation, which I'll, which I, I'll get into in the course. Yeah. Um, it's not easy, but that's kind of not the point. But yeah. it is good. Yeah, <laughs> sure. uh, interestingly, the, the course itself is quite easy. The course right. uh, is, is super fun as we get out and jump around and laugh a little bit and yeah. uh, Look at the sunshine and maybe the rain. If we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can continue on. We do this course is based off one for physicians. So it is actually the highest level. It's the only course in the world that's accredited by the American Medical Association uh, to give licensing hours for physicians. So that's the right. that's the top level. And this is this is boiled down to really understandable, practical application for uh, runners. And if you're a coach or a trainer, uh, this is also quite useful. So yeah, going to coaches and trainers, it's it, it's accredited. Coaches and trainers can there, there's reps points linked for the courses there. Yeah, so the we have uh, we have American College of Sports Medicine, um, USA Triathlon, and then associated body. So if there's right. your national triathlon body, they'll probably look at it and go, yeah, okay, that works for us. Yeah. Uh, same with uh, sports medicine. If you're in the sports medicine field, you can. Um, get your uh, ACSM CEU, so CEU, CECs, CU, CEs, all these, all these other accreditations. If people want them, um, most people and most governing bodies require a certificate of completion and then the course curriculum. Right. And so we provide all that, and all you have to do if, if the body says, "Hey, we need some something more," just they just have to email us and sort send off whatever they need. What 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 should folks be doing to perhaps prepare for the course? If, if obviously everyone wants to sign up now, um, they've got they've got a few weeks to go. It's on the twentieth and twenty first of Feb. We're hosting it here at NFI. If people want to prepare for it, what what can they what can they do? Uh, I think the most useful thing would be to purchase uh, what we usually use as the textbook for most of our courses. Yeah, and it's called. It's published in the UK under a different name, but if you look uh, on Amazon, US Amazon for um, Anatomy for Runners, right? It's published in the un, in the UK under a, a much more friendly name. <laughs> 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 not on the spot is intimidating. Um, I'm not quite sure what it is actually. I'll, uh, I I'll, fi- I'll, I'll find it and put a put a link to that in the show notes anyway. Don't worry about it. That's uh... or, or US Amazon. I don't know what what most people shop with um, out there, but I, I would imagine Europe is much or UK is much closer. Yeah. So. Um, that that's a you want that book anyway. It it explains a whole lot more than we give in the course. It gives a lot of detail. Um, there's another one that's real. Another book. If people are readers, here's another great book. Um, oh shoot! It's by Pete Larson and Bill Kotowski, and it's it's got an odd name. Shoot! Oh, now it's, I'm completely blanking on. It. But if you've got a running book by Peter Larson yeah. and Bill Kotowski. I'll get you will well. see it. Easy. I could probably look it up right now since I'm. We'll, um, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I'll find that and uh, we, we'll stick it. We'll stick a link 
to the show notes uh, in the show notes to those both those books anatomy for runners and, and that second one by peter larson as well and then folks can get that if people want to get on the course they can register here at in a fight or at up and running or at sporting life and i'll put all of those links in the show notes 20th 21st of feb Ian is going to be in Dubai. What he's told us in the last half an hour definitely makes me want to sit through two days or, or jump into two days. Sounds like there's a lot of practical as well. So that will be a great weekend. Ian, let's close this out. I've got one question for you for the people that might not be able to make it to, to the seminar. If you could give one piece of advice to runners out there today of what you're seeing in, the, in this current day and age, what would it be? <laughs> I'll give you uh, I'll give you three one pieces of advice. How about okay, that? that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my three one pieces of advice. Uh, when you're running, just try and live, uh, try and land lightly. Actually, that's the name of the book. Tread lightly. Tread lightly. Yeah. Tread lightly. Uh, so try and try and land lightly. And what that means is land land close to your body, and right. step rate your cadence is incredibly important. Not coincidentally, it's exactly the same cadence that you use for efficient cycling, right. which cyclists know is about uh, uh, 90 uh, RPM per foot, so 180 both feet, Right. about. It depends a little bit on the length of your Achilles tendon, yep. which we will talk about in the course. But if you if you have a step rate, and it'll feel really odd because it'll feel like you're taking these little kind of baby steps yeah. and not going very fast, the reality is you go just as fast, it just feel a lot easier. Right. It's kind of a trick. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it happens to hit, here's the science behind it, it hits the resonant frequency of your Achilles tendon. Right. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> there, there's uh, there's my nuggets of uh, there we there we, there we there we go. There's a, there's a lot to go out there. I'm sure the course is going to be absolutely jam packed with other interesting information and facts. And let's, uh, I mean, running's the easiest thing to do, right? People just get a pair of trainers, old, new, thick soles, thin soles, or without soles, and and and, and get out running. So and and it's a cheap way to, to 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 stay in shape. There's no two ways about it. So if we if we can learn how to do it the most efficiently, and the saddest thing that I that I see in running is the injury rates are so damn high. So if we can if we can have it with less injury rates and a lot more satisfaction, then there's going to be a, a lot more fit people out there, which is which is something absolutely fantastic. So Ian, we really look forward to hosting you here in Dubai at Inner Fight. Folks, don't forget to check out the show notes. We'll put all the details there. 20th, 21st of Feb, Ian's coming all the way over to Dubai. Hopefully it'll be nice and hot and sunny so you can make us jump around and run around outside and have a great weekend. Ian, thanks a lot for your time. And mate, we look forward to, uh, look forward to having you here in Dubai. Marcus, it's my pleasure. I hope to see all of you out there. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the podcast, folks, and I do hope you enjoyed it. Thanks also to Ian for taking time out to speak to us, and we look forward to welcoming him here in Dubai in February. If you do have any questions, hop over to the post in a fight.com slash podcast 160, post them up there in the comments section, or just drop us an email winning at innerfight.com. Please take a moment to rate the podcast over in iTunes as well. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, take care.